Hello, Steve. Howdy, Dan. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Uh, just a bit of housekeeping as we get started. Housekeeping. Often when people do podcasts, they'll say the date, and we haven't done that on any of these yet. That's because we're trying to get a, a, a reasonable amount of these in the can uh, just to make sure we have enough momentum to make this make it happen. And so people have something to listen to and decide if they want to listen or not to the Dulcimer Geek podcast. So we'll start saying dates and show numbers and all that later. But right now, I feel like every podcast we do is a test as to whether or not we're going to use it, right? Yeah, and we're learning how to talk to each other while being recorded, which is very different from talking to each other when no one is recording us. You know, we're being much more respectful now. <laughs> this should be our new relationship. Sure, yeah, actually, there's no reason to not do this. So I had an exciting day yesterday because I got something in the mail. Yeah? UPS, actually. Uh, so I ordered a dulcimer specifically for this Africa trip that I have coming up. I need something that fits in the overhead. And I've been doing this for a long time and played lots of instruments. And so I'm going to be talking about a specific brand for a minute, but it's not a commercial. It's really not because I think there's all kinds of great dulcimers. This one just happened to be one that I know and fit for this. So the box comes in. It's a big box. And I have to tell you that unboxing of a brand new instrument, mm. that's one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, I like that. And I want to take my time and experience the entire unboxing. You know, so, uh, and I wouldn't have done that when I first started. You know, you like just tear it open and you start to try to play it before you even get it all the way out. But this one's like, no, because that's so much fun that I, I want to recreate it. So slowly cutting this box open, you know, and opening it up and then picking up all the little peanuts and sticking those in a bag so that we can, you know, if we have to put it back. And you also want to make sure there's no damage. And then you unzip the instrument, and there's this shiny, brand-new instrument looking at you. And uh, that's just the, one of the most exciting things ever. Not a single scratch, usually. <laughs> yeah, if it, if it all goes well, it's like that. And uh, on a hammer dulcimer, <clears throat> all those strings, it's even though it was tuned, you know, when they sent it to you, it's been flying in an airplane, so it's probably not completely tuned. And it's really still hard to resist smacking it a couple of times to hear it while it's still in the box, uh, which I did, and that's that's a little underwhelming because it's you know it's going to need to be tuned. But but even then, before I got the instrument out of the box, I carefully this one came with two hammers. I mean, with a set of hammers, you know, and they're wrapped up in plastic, and the tuning wrench is wrapped up in plastic. I opened all that stuff, and you get to feel the new hammers and just smell the wood. That's just so exciting. How many tuning wrenches do you have now? I don't know. Uh, in Within my eyesight right now, I only see one, but I know that drawer that I can see has probably two others in it. Well, that's not bad. That's not bad, yeah. But I lose them sometimes or I loan them to people and, and that kind of thing. So this was a little instrument called a D300. Does that mean anything to you? It's a, I think it's a... Motorcycle put out by Yamaha, 1979. Yeah, no, no, this it was a Suzuki. It was a Suzuki. Uh, you're thinking of the CB 700, actually. There was a the CB 700. No, the, the CB 700 was a blender. Never mind. 
Might have been. That was a Honda. I had a Honda CB700. And anybody that ever owned one also owned the carburetor adjustment kit. So what's a D300? <laughs> uh, it's a 250cc. Oh, you mean the, the, the dulcimer. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's an instrument that gives you full chromatic range of a 1516, but on the frame size of a 1211 hmm. because it adds the G scale over on the left-hand side of the instrument, almost like the great big D650s like I normally play where it has that long, what's called a super bass bridge. This one has a super bass, but they do that to fill in the bottom notes. And it, I think it's one of the best-sounding instruments Dusty Strings makes, a little pricey. I mean, they're, it's an expensive instrument. But. So 1211 means 12 notes on the left, 11 on the right? It means 12 on the center 12 and 11 on the right. Okay. Yeah, where it crosses that center bridge. And so this one, it's, it's actually more than 12 and 11, but that's just a size that people are used to, to, to getting, an, getting an idea of how big this thing is. So in its case, it's about 40 inches long, and it's 41 inches in its case at its longest point. Uh, and that's shorter than a guitar. And from what I'm understanding, the airline rules, they're being nicer to musicians these days. Right. Have you followed that? Yeah, and I appreciate it, <laughs> but um, I appreciate that I definitely, when I fly, I want to be catered to, but um, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm being a little bit selfish to expect the whole airline industry to uh, make an exception for me. <laughs> well, but you fly. What do you do with your instruments? I, I put it in the overhead. Well, are you being selfish, wanting to not break your, you know, the thing you do for a living? Not, yeah, I guess. But what if <clears throat> I had some kind of fancy Chinese lamp? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe that's different. That can be more easily packed, maybe, than an instrument. I don't know. But you're maybe saying you your hope is that this will meet the re kind of the requirements so that you can not have to check it and where it shows up, you know, all mashed. Well, you can't check it. You just can't. You just can't. <laughs> it would fit. I mean, if you put a hammered dulcimer in a hard case, just because of the sheer size of the thing anyway, you then get into something that's 50, 60 pounds. And it's crazy expensive for that, hmm. to do that. And a guitar, you know those, when you go to fly... The place, a lot of times they'll have the thing that if your bag fits in here, it can be overhead. You know, it's like just a little box that you can test your luggage with. Yeah. A guitar doesn't fit in that. Absolutely you know that? not. Right. Right. And so that's what I'm saying. A hammered dulcimer is like that, or at least a small one like this. Now, my D650, I think it would be ridiculous. I would be being ridiculous if I thought they should let me try to jam that thing into overhead because that would take up an entire thing and nobody else could get their stuff in there. I but, think if a group of you, and I've, I've been around a lot of hammer dulcimer players and I've, I hear a lot of these travel stories, I think it would be good if all of you would come together. I mean, certainly you could probably get 40 of you 10, to come together. 10. Let's say 40. And you, you uh, decide you're going to buy a number of these 
Representative Hammer dulcimers and just put them in storage facilities in various cities around the world. Oh, that's interesting. Actually, often when I travel to play, I borrow a large instrument. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. For when I get there, yeah. So that kind of already happens, and people are really cool about that generally. See, with me, um, the, the instrument I've been playing lately has been my McSpadden. It's, it's one I actually got on 20 years ago, and I would hate to lose it, but I basically, it's small enough. If I put it in the right kind of case, it, it's never really been a problem, but what you're dealing with, that's a whole other matter. Well, I mean, there's there's a bigger risk, too. Back when I did the the Yanni stuff and toured with him, I had two of, of the large instruments that I played, but they were in this monster road case, and I, I didn't even have to set them up or tear them down. Oh, yeah. Because I had like a tech who would do that. What's that, like a $1,000 case? Probably. But it wouldn't, they even told me, they, because they had the case built for my instruments and they told me I could have it. And I didn't take it because I don't, it wouldn't fit in any vehicle that I own. Oh, wow. <laughs> it had to roll into the back of a semi, you know, because that's what it was used to. So I was like, nah, I don't need that. I find getting <laughs> on the plane, one of the most important things is I don't want any of the, airline workers to think I'm trying to pull one over on them. <laughs> I don't want them to think I'm trying to hide the instrument. Um, so I, I usually, I keep the case open uh, right before I get on the plane. I actually pull the dulcimer out a little bit so it's obvious that it's an instrument. I make eye contact. I put the instrument right in their face. And um, that could all be in my imagination, but I feel like if 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 those people think you're trying to sneak one past them, it doesn't go well. Right, but why would you have to sneak an instrument? Well, first Are of all, you're saying just because it's too long. Well, if I use my if I yeah. use my if I use my larger soft case, it looks like a golf club case, and so I need them to know I don't have golf clubs in uh -huh. here. And okay. um, how long is that? the case i don't know it's a little longer than my left leg <laughs> which i know because i put a put my leg in it once i figured if i had two of those i could keep my legs warm in an emergency i have to try that now i need to know compared to my leg you're taller than me though schnaufer had a neat story about getting on a plane um i forget where he was but i think he found some old dulcimer somewhere i don't know if it was a I seem to recall it was a Jethro Ambergy. So it was it was one of those classic mountain dulcimers. And uh, I think he said he got it for 200 bucks or something, which is a steal. It was in one of those chipboard cases. Yeah. And he was trying to take that onto the plane, and they just told him there's no way you can take this on the plane, you know, and he tried every trick in the book. And um, they wanted to put it under the plane, you know. So, like, were they wanting to make him? Were they going to let him? Uh, what, what do they call it when you check in just before you get on the you know? side check? What is that called? I yeah, whatever that's called. Yeah. So, this is what Schnaufer said he did. He realized they were not going to let him take it on the plane. Uh, so, he took the dulcimer out of the case, put the case mm -hmm. in the trash. That ha there was a trash thing right there, and he just handed the naked dulcimer, you know, to uh, to one of the guys that was going to take it out there. 
His theory was that uh, it would make it obvious that this thing needed to be taken care of. If he had just given it to him in the case, it might have just gotten tossed in there, you know. I think that's brilliant. I, I think that was smart. But, yeah, I mean, it. do you know what, did it work? Yeah, he said he looked out there and they were handling it like a baby. I remember him saying that. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, I think they're no more damage. good people than bad people. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not going to travel typically with a really expensive instrument. I mean, I guess you could say my McSpadden did not cost much at all when I got it. And you could argue that it has a very high value for me. But I do think that if it happened to get crushed, I could live. I could move on. I could get another one. Right. <clears throat> for this for this particular gig, I'm nervous because I, I'm going to be in another country. And oh, yeah. I won't be able to get my hands on another instrument. And so That's crazy. I want to keep my eyes on this. Yeah. So the risk is high. But I think the risk would be even higher if I played my favorite instrument and put it in a you know a big case and put it under the plane. I think that's worse. So are you saying this little one has roughly the same notes and layout as your big one? It has the exact same string spacing, which is a big deal. Okay. Because you yes. kind of get used to playing that. Okay. Uh, and But no, the layout's a little odd on it. And I think uh, tonally, the folks at Dusty Strings might not... But anyway, this is in my opinion, I think it's <clears throat> on the high end, it's their best. Well, by, but, but so, because it has this odd layout... It's not been widely adapted. It's one they've had around for a long time, and they don't make very many. So how long do you have to get used to this thing before the trip? Well, I got it yesterday. That was the beginning of the story. I mean, just the unpacking. It was just awesome. So I you know, I brought it into the studio, tuned it up, and <clears throat> played it for probably an hour or so, just kind of getting used to it and digging it a lot. And then I took it home and... Uh, had a bite and then thought, man, I just want to play some more. And I had been thinking about something you said in the last podcast about playing on the porch. I don't remember what, what your reference was, but it's like, yeah, I want to go do that. So I took my go? instrument out on the porch and found a spot where there weren't like a lot of ants crawling around or anything. And uh, <clears throat> I had custom made a leg for it so it doesn't have to have a stand, you know, so you can just sit anywhere and play which is how most people used to play hammer dulcimers in the United States, and sat down on the porch and immediately started getting new musical ideas from this thing because it was a new space, it was a new tone, it was a slightly different layout than what I'm used to. And it reminded me of this thing that David Wilcox said one time, uh, that one of the reasons it's important to retune your instrument to different tunings, ones that you aren't even familiar with, is because... It has something new that it wants to say to you, hmm. and you'll and you'll never get there if you don't step outside the familiar. Yeah. So, anyway, one of my tasks for this wedding is to write the recessional music. I'm writing an original piece, and it started coming to me really fast. And I was thinking, this is so great! I've got my little iPhone here, and I'll record this in a minute. <clears throat> I ended up being on the porch for about two hours. I bet I only got to play about 10 minutes because one thing I forgot about playing on the porch <laughs> is that everybody comes around to see what's going on. And if you're in a neighborhood where people walk. And so I ended up teaching a little boy how to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And, you know, his parents may be interested in having him do lessons now. And they, 
three, four sets of neighbors all came around. I met a bunch of new dogs I'd never seen before. <laughs> Had some political discussions. It was awesome. Well, the cool thing about, you know, when you play for a wedding, I kind of like the idea of writing something for them because no matter what you do, they're going to think that um, you did it exactly right <laughs> because it's something you wrote. They've never heard it before. Yeah, it'll be a little more tense for me with this one because of the uh, there's a bunch of musicians involved in this one, and yeah, they'll they'll want to know <laughs> specifically. So I've actually got to write it out. They've sent me a bunch of music to learn. Huh. So uh, what I'm doing a lot of between now and time to leave for this on the 18th is learning a bunch of new church songs that they want played, and then this new piece and recording. Dulcimer School video lessons about learning new songs on a smaller instrument because that's different. Uh, you're, there's some limitations, and so your arrangements have to be you know, rearranged, right? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess. I think I, rem I remember hearing Patty Lumen play a very small hammer dulcimer in a jam in West Virginia one time, and she only was hitting the melody notes. And it, it was really nice. It stands out in my mind all these years later as a really great use of the hammered dulcimer. She wasn't doing anything other than just the plain melody. And I've even thought, you know, I wouldn't mind having a little dulcimer like that and just playing the melody at a jam just as a little, you know, kind of a break for yeah. me from the mountain dulcimer. Oh, that's neat. You, you don't see them much anymore. I've seen really small ones that people have, like at, uh, at at Everett. There's a lady who always has one that's probably a seven, six or something, and it's probably fine for learning melodies. I mean, it's funny. Since the 1980s, satellite dishes have gotten smaller, and and hammer dulcimers have gotten bigger. I don't know that there's a, any correlation there. <laughs> there may not be. Could be. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. So here um, I, I see that a D300 is actually a Nikon camera. Oh, it is. That's funny. Yeah. I should have known that because I'm a photographer, but I shoot Canon. That's right. Yeah. Uh, because Canon, they used Canons in the Civil War, and they were hammer dulcimers in the Civil War, so that's why I shoot Canon. I had a buddy uh, yesterday. He sent me – he's learning to play guitar – and this is a guy I've known since the fifth grade, and we probably talk once a week. But he, he's playing electric guitar, he's learning it, and he sent me a recording. He's learning the Star Spangled Banner, you know. And um, I was talking with him about how helpful recording yourself can be, like especially video, and... Uh, to get geared up to record something, you know, you kind of got to get warmed up and, and you end up maybe doing five to 40 takes, you know, and in right. that process, you're actually under the pressure to hone this right on the spot. And, and there's something really good about that. And then when, when you finally have that recording, you know, not only can you kind of see what you're doing from your audience's perspective, but you know, when Russell sends me something, I'm able to give him some feedback on it. And I was just telling him, you know, if you're if you're wanting to learn to play, I think this is one of the best things you can do to uh, to get better 
you want to see what you're doing. You want to hear what you're doing. And, uh, and just the whole process, it seems like it forces you to get your act together. I agree. So it's, uh, but it's just like in recording this podcast, <laughs> you spent 15 minutes before we started today telling me how you can't stand the way you sound. Well, roughly. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have a timer on it, but it felt like an hour. But it's, we all do that. We all do it, right? I mean, with eating, somebody recommended that the first best thing I could do is just start writing down what I was eating, not even doing anything else, you know, as far as getting healthy and eating different. Just start recording what you're eating, you know? Yeah. Wow. So we're, I don't know that this is a tangent because you and I are both interested in productivity because we both feel like we should be way more That's right. productive than we are. You know, we're always looking at this stuff. Uh, one of the things now that my phone and my computer both track each other as far as what the last thing I did with my web browser was. Yeah. It's, it's interesting <clears throat> to go... Like if right now I opened up my browser and I looked at my history from yesterday, man, I was on so many different sites. Most of that had to not be necessary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just being aware of what you're doing. I mean, this it's like this with, uh, <laughs> I used to do competition backgammon. And I remember this one old guy telling me, you know, the first... One of the first things you want to work on is make sure you're actually seeing the board. Don't slump over. Sit up straight. Make sure you're looking at the board. You know, and it it sounds it sounds like silly advice, but just to actually know that you're seeing what you're doing, you're hearing what you're doing. I mean, that's a big deal. Forget about trying to figure out what to do different. Are you actually really listening to your the music you're making, you know? Right. Isn't it a little difficult in terms of music, and maybe this applies to web surfing as well, sometimes when you're trying to learn an instrument, you're so focused on trying to recall what it is you've been taught or this thing that you're, you know, that you're reading and you're trying to apply that, that I think your your mind's all occupied with just the what it takes to get the motor, you know, the motor skills and everything to happen so that you can't really hear the sound that's being produced. Right. And you have to get to at least a, a level of proficiency so that you can begin to hear what it is you're doing. And then I think that's when the magic starts to happen. I think there's, there's a model that, <clears throat> well, there's something that happened at summer camp when I was a camp counselor, and it kind of reveals a process that I think I applied everything I um I was a I was a camp counselor. It was all very new to me and it was really scary. And this is one of those overnight camps where kids are there for almost a week. And um it was very stressful, scary, hard work. I in particular that first week. And I remember when the when the last parent came by to get the last kid I was in charge of, you know, as they walked away, my cabin was really quiet and peaceful. And I remember in that moment, I just said to myself, uh, what went well this week? 
and I went through a few things. And then I thought, what didn't go so well this week? And then I thought, what, what's one thing I can do next week? I mean, I'm, I don't even know why I didn't think, what are 50 things I could do better next week? I remember thinking, what's one thing I can do next week to make next week probably go better? And then I, it's like the next week when the kids all left, you know, we'd get a new batch every week. I did that again. And I remember a real sense after a month and a half that, hey, I'm getting better at this, you know, to have that time of reflection. Um, it's really easy to just play music and, and practice and not really sit back, daydream about, you know, what you want to do, actually listen to yourself. Sometimes I, I really, I mean, I could say this about myself too, but some of the students I've worked with, I'll think, you know, some of them aren't really pausing to really listen to themselves, you know, and, and part of that might be okay. You know, maybe for them, the real pleasure is, um, is they're just having fun, you know, but when somebody comes to <laughs> yeah. you and they say, I really want to get better, I, then I, I want to say, please really start to listen to yourself. Um, there's certain sounds you can get unintentionally on the mountain dulcimer. Like if you don't fret with quite enough pressure, you get like kind of a buzzy sound, sometimes a slappy mm -hmm. sound. Um, yeah, well, that's the advantage and disadvantage of playing with a group. <laughs> you don't hear it and it gets you to at least play. Yeah. But, but you don't get to hear your tone. If I can just get them to hear, actually hear that buzzy sound that's that's coming from not pressing enough, I almost think I don't need to tell them how to deal with it. It's like, first, hear it. Really hear it. Yeah, I agree with that completely. That's uh, That applies to all kinds of areas of life, and, and especially with music, and hammer dulcimer, exactly the same. If you can, <clears throat> when I'm trying to get someone to correct the way their hammers are moving as they move them, if I can get them to focus on the motion of the hammer head rather than, oh, I need to tighten this muscle up or loosen this, and say, you want to get this sound or you want to get this motion, so watch for this motion. And, you know, you can offer people little tips, like you said, like, okay, press a little harder, or maybe scoot a little closer to the fret or a little farther away or whatever. Well, but when I want them listening because it's the result you're trying to get them to produce. It's the, right? Right. That's right. And that when I'm teaching, I sometimes, I do feel a little bit like a hypocrite. Um, here's how it'll go. I'll be giving some big spiel on how important some aspect of, you know, our music is. And, and I'm laying down all these ideas, like you really need to listen to yourself. And once you do this, you, I'm giving them this whole big passionate explanation of what they need to do different. And then I can't, this happens almost every time I teach inside my own mind, <laughs> I start thinking, Steve, you know, you could be applying the same advice to other non-musical areas of your life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm telling people, really, really listen to what you're doing. And, and then I'm thinking, yeah, well, I have a tendency to not really pay attention to what I'm eating, you know, or how I'm communicating with my family or something yeah. like that. Well, it's, it's complex and 
I want to avoid putting, you know, just simple sentences, simple moralizations onto people that like, you know, if you do this, well, this will happen. It's life is more complex than that because there are other factors, you know, that override even simple thinking from time to time. Yeah. I can't tell people like you're hungry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just that one, you're hungry. That makes you make bad decisions about eating. Well, notice when you're hungry, pay attention to it, I guess. Yeah. But I think the hunger overcomes that. And, and, I'm just using that as one point. We could talk about this in many areas, but not in the last 60 seconds we have here. We only have 60 seconds? Yeah, it's crazy. It goes by really fast. and We can't solve enjo- all the problems of the world in 20 seconds? Wow. And I don't know that I want to hang out with anybody who thinks they can. Because <laughs> hmm. it's not... They're wrong. Life is complex. It's also awesome and wonderful. And I've got a new instrument, and I'm going to take it out on the porch the back porch <laughs> this time and practice a bunch more tonight on it. Well, I'm going to, I want people to know that uh, the best thing about learning an instrument is the personal adventure, the fun you're having. So please don't ever listen too intently to any advice I might give. Have some fun with the darn thing. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Is this called a wrap up? Are we wrapping this up? Yeah, we're wrapping it up, and I think uh, it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. I hear a motorcycle. Are we wrapping this up? Did you hear a motorcycle? Did you not just hear a motorcycle? Let's just finish this. Are we wrapping this up? (laughs) I think we did wrap it up. You should have responded to the motorcycle. That was cool. No, I figured you knew it would make for a weird edit, so I was just going to say... No, I thought it would be funny because you'd go, no, nobody will hear it. We'll have music going. So are we wrapping this up? Go ahead. Are we wrapping this up? Yeah, I think we are wrapped up. I think we're done. All right. I'll see you later. Bye.